Thank you, Micah. Well, welcome to the Orchard this morning. We are glad you're joining us, whether you are here in the house or with us uh, online or listening anywhere around our nation or globe. We are glad you are with us. We have a lot of announcements, and if you would like to find those, you can go to our website where we have all the details, theorchardlife.com. There's uh, one, two things I want to speak about today. One of them is our ministry, Orchard Serves, just got done yesterday, going out and serving our community. And uh, we went all over this area and just helped people clean up their yards. And we, I showed up to one house to a gentleman who does not attend here at the orchard, uh, doesn't attend anywhere. I actually saw him post online that he was going to hire some help. To, his, his back was so hurt he needed to get some help on his yard. And I said, uh, we'll be there at 9. And so a team of orchard people showed up, and they were just overcome with appreciation and gratitude for the team of people that showed up and helped there. So Orchard Serves is our ministry. And, and, and he asked me, he said, why are you guys doing this? And I said, we don't just want to have church. I said, we want to be a church that puts love into action with no strings attached. And he just said, you guys are doing what you say you're doing. This is amazing. So that's really cool. You'll have more opportunities for you to get involved in Orchard Serves in the coming months as you see those opportunities jump in. The other thing I want to talk about is you might see a box on your seat or around you. Um, or This is Operation Christmas Child. This is a ministry of packing shoe boxes full of toys and necessities for children in impoverished nations around the globe to receive. And they get one of these and get to open it and see all that is inside of there. And the mission of Operation Christmas Child is to demonstrate God's love in a tangible way to children who are in need around the world. And through this project, Samaritan's Purse partners with local churches around, um, around the globe to spread, send the good news of Jesus. Now, the orchard has packed 4,823 boxes since 2007 when we first got involved. Our biggest year was 2019, where we packed 649 shoe boxes. Last year, obviously, with COVID, we still did our best. But this year, we are hoping to, uh, to put all those other years to shame. Let me just tell you a few things about Operation Christmas Child and why it matters to me and why, as lead pastor, I would take a second out of this and tell you about it. The ministry has grown in amazing ways, and they have sent 188 million shoe boxes to over 190 nations around the world. There are 50 that are called, quote, hard-to-reach nations. Those are nations that are closed down for political or other reasons. Uh, they have significant barriers to the good news of Jesus in any kind of missions. There are 50 nations that are hard to reach that Operation Christmas Child is now sending boxes to. But here's why I love it so much. Here's why I take time and say, Orchard, we're going to get in on this. Because it's not just because it blesses a child with, with a gift or some necessities of love. There's a bigger God-sized plan afoot with this ministry. Every shoebox that you send out, if you pack a shoebox and you send it, with it goes, it's um, accompanied by a presentation that Jesus died and rose again, and it gives those children an opportunity to hear the gospel and pray and make a decision to receive it. And I just want to give you some numbers, and this is why the orchard goes all in on Operation Christmas Child. 12.6 million boys and girls have made a decision to follow Jesus through Operation Christmas Child. 12.6 million decisions to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That means there'll be people in heaven that the connecting that you will meet someday and the connection between you and them is 
You pack this with stuff from Target and Walmart and Glenwood. And while we pack these for Christmas, we pack these this time of year. They're not delivered there at Christmas. They're delivered all year round. All throughout the year, they're delivered to these villages, which means right now, three children every minute of every day are coming to salvation through Jesus Christ through this ministry. That's one child every 20 seconds added to the kingdom of heaven through this ministry. It's estimated that for every child who receives the box and receives the gospel, their life impacts seven to 10 additional people around them. That's parents and grandparents, other siblings or fellow orphans who are impacted by that person's spiritual decision. Not only that, but they, as they grow in their relationship and get married, it impacts their marriage. It impacts their, the way they parent. The legacy is huge. And it's not just salvation. Operation Christmas Child has a discipleship program called The Greatest Journey for these kids. And they enroll in it and they learn what it means to follow Jesus. And so far, 26.9 million children have been through the discipleship program. They learn what it means to follow Jesus. They learn what it means to share their faith in, the, in, in their area and the place where the orchard will never be. Because of the amazing moves of God like we've seen uh, through Operation Christmas Child, hundreds of new churches every year are started as spontaneous people come to Jesus and need a place to gather. They're constantly looking for, for new ways and to reach people. Jesus said, go into all the world. He said, go to the ends of the earth. And by 2024, Operation Christmas Child hopes to reach um, the 250 unreached people groups with the gospel. People who may have never heard about Jesus. Here at the orchard, we say this. We keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's Jesus. And one reason I'm so passionate about Operation Christmas Child and we, one reason we, we, we go into this so much once a year is not because we send toys and love around the world. It's because in this and with this goes the main thing, Jesus. Orchard shoebox goal this year is 700. I'm looking forward to when it's in the thousands, but this year it's 700. And I just want just, to just, just think, out of 700 boxes, how many lives could be transformed? Out of the box that you pack, out of love, what could, what could happen in that child's life? I want to tell you about a couple i um, friends with. Their name is Gary and Amanda Lytell, and they're, they're members here at the Orchard. They own Lytell Electric. And Gary and Amanda, they get that Operation Christmas Child isn't just about toys. They get the gospel message behind it and what God is doing, the bigger picture. And they wanted to find a way to not just pack one box for their family or there's four of them, let's pack four boxes or even eight if they, we each do two. So they decided to get their whole uh, company on it. They, 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 they thought outside the shoebox. See what I did there? So they began to think that way and, and Lytel Electric banded together and over the last two years, they have packed, as a company, 215 boxes that they bring here to the orchard. I tell you that not just to give them accolades. I tell you that to be challenged, to think of beyond yourself, to think beyond one box. Uh, how could you uh, be a blessing to more than just one child? And I want to end by telling you another thing that makes it very personal for me and, and hopefully for you. There, there's a gentleman at our church. He attends here with his wife and his two children. And he told me a story. He told me of when he was a child in a little village, an impoverished nation. And he tells about how they were gathered together 
And they were preparing them for a moment. There were shoeboxes. He didn't know what they were. They had never done this before. They each got a shoebox, and they, it sat in their laps until someone said it was time to open it. And here's what he said. He said he opened it. He said for the first time in his entire life, he smelled something he'd never smelled before. He said he'd never smelled new until that moment. He said he didn't know what it was. It was a smelling, a smell of new. And so every year when that gentleman and his family, they get a dolly and they bring in all their boxes. He doesn't bring them in because, oh, good, I get to, to send some toys and some love. He was one of those children. He got to smell new for the first time. But more than that, his heart became new through Jesus Christ. And he's now married in a Christian marriage and leading his children to Jesus in faith. It matters a lot to him. And Orchard, I want us to step into this. So the challenge is that we as a church, would, would, we have a thermometer out there and all those things, that we would break 700. That's our goal. But I want you to see this, the reason behind it isn't just sending things to kids. This is part of the gospel process, that Jesus' salvation and love would be known in places you and I will probably never travel to. Now, 700 boxes this year. Maybe 1,000 in the coming years. We'll see. We're, we're going to be back in John 14. We've been in John for almost a year now. And here we find ourselves in the upper room. And I want, I, want you to, I want you today to immerse yourself in this moment. I want you to begin to put yourself in this teaching. Because Jesus is in the upper rooms. He's in the upper room with the disciples for what they assume was a normal Passover meal. We've talked a lot about this in the past weeks. But immediately they begin to realize that something is taking a huge turn of events. So place yourself there in the room with Jesus. Twelve disciples and him reclining on your left side around this table. There you are. The night has a familiar feel to it. Let's say you're one of these young men, you're 20-some years old. You have had uh, Passover seders since your infancy. It's scripted. It, 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 you know exactly what is said and how it's said. You know exactly what is served. It, it all goes in order. You know exactly what to expect. This is a traditional Passover meal. No surprises. You're there on your left side. You're reclining, talking to the people around you, when suddenly Jesus stands up and he takes the place of a slave or a servant gets the towel and begins to wash the feet of the people around you. This is a break with every single cultural, religious, and social etiquette. He gets to you and the awkwardness of having your rabbi wash your feet. That would be a servant's job. We're already off to an awkward start. But the meal starts as normal. He puts, his, he puts the towel back down. And okay, now we're back on track. We know what to expect. We've done this every single year. And in the middle of the Passover meal, everything's going according to plan. Jesus gets to the middle matzah, the bread. He takes it from the basket. And, and instead of giving the traditional blessing that you know by heart because you hear it every year, you see your rabbi stand and declare that that bread is his body and he breaks it. He breaks the bread. He says that his body will be broken. And all of you stop and wonder, what is he doing? We're already, he's washed our feet. Now he's saying that this, this traditional meal is generations old. And now he's saying something new, interjecting himself into it. But the meal continues. Okay, we're back on track. And then it comes to the time to drink the third cup of wine, the cup of redemption. And, and, and Jesus holds it up. And, and there's a blessing that goes with it that we, we know to this day what it would be, what he would have said. But, and the disciples are ready to recite it. And he doesn't say it. So this is the blood of the new covenant. 
This is my blood that will be shed. And again, you are shocked as he takes a tradition that is generations old and injects himself into it. And as you drink the wine, you're looking around at your friends who are also looking around at you. What is happening? This is not the traditional Passover. Things are going differently than usual. You're, you're a bit puzzled. Let's be honest. We're a bit concerned. So far, Jesus has, has been taken this, the place of a slave and a servant. He said his body would be broken. He said his blood would be shed. You look around at the other disciples, whom you know very well. You've been with them for three years. You've argued with them. You've laughed with them. you cried with them. And you can see the same uneasy look on their face that you feel in the pit of your stomach. What is happening? The night is not going as you'd planned. And there is a rising concern within you. I mean, you've been with Jesus for three years. You followed him daily. And while you've gotten, you've gotten used to Jesus saying something kind of out of, not normal or doing something not normal, he always takes you aside afterwards and says, here's what I'm doing, but it's just us. This, this feels different. There's, there's a rising and unnerving tension in the room and, and even Jesus seems to have more of a burden on him. You walked with him, you've been with him. Something is weighing on him. Jesus then begins to speak. And it's not the kind of discussion that you would expect at a Passover meal. No, no, he begins to speak about something that is very alarming and some very cryptic things. Jesus starts speaking that he is going to be betrayed by one of you in the room. He says this, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The next verse says, the disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. He says, I tell you the truth, one's going to betray me. And you start looking around like, what? Who, who's it going to be? What does he mean? How could this be? He continues to speak and he says this. He says, my sons, I will be with you only a little longer. What? You'll look for me and where I'm going, where I'm going, you cannot come. So not only is somebody in this room betraying Jesus, but our rabbi is leaving us? Listen, back in those days, a rabbi always had disciples. They were called Talmudin. Talmudin meant fo they would follow. Uh, Talmudin, by their very nature, need a rabbi. If our rabbi leaves very soon, he says, you cannot follow me where you will look for me, but where I'm going, you cannot go. Am I even a disciple? When is he leaving? He said it was soon. Is it, it, when? If I can't go with him, what does that mean for me? I've been with him every day for three years. What's happening? And more importantly, what is he hinting at? What is going to happen? The air would be filled with so much uncertainty. None of you knows what to say. And as usual, you know this being part of this group, when no one knows what to say, you all know Peter's gonna say something. And that's when Peter says, unable to bear it, he goes, why can't I come? I'm ready to die for you. Like if you're going off this planet, I'll die too. Wherever, it doesn't matter, Jesus. Why can't I go? I'll die for you. And you see the deep emotion in Peter's eyes. And you hear the, you hear the plea in his voice and it grabs you because you feel the same thing. Why can't I go? I've been going every day. I followed you through everything. I would die for you. And Jesus, no, and you think in your heart, no matter what happens, I would never betray you. Would never abandon you. And Jesus, to your shock, turns to Peter and tells him that in the coming hours, this was late at night, in the coming hours before the rooster crows, Peter will deny Jesus three times. Peter, 
The one who got out of a boat and walked on water? Peter would do anything. You're telling me in the next few hours, Peter's going to deny Jesus? Someone's going to betray him? He's going to leave us? And you see Peter's heart and face. They're just crestfallen. And in you, this is terrifying. You are deeply troubled. It's late at night. And Jesus at this Passover meal tells you he is leaving soon. One of you is going to betray him. And by morning, Peter's going to deny him three times. And Jesus is leaving and we can't even follow him. The level of distress and anxiety and uncertainty in that room for us as disciples would have been overwhelming. Our hearts would have been absolutely troubled. Which is why in the next verse, John 14, 1, Jesus says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You ever seen somebody panicking and you walk up and go, hey, don't panic. You ever been around somebody they're worried about something significant and you go, hey, don't worry about it. Hakuna Matata, you know? You ever been in a, I would, I would caution you never to do this. We do offer free marital counseling, but have you ever been in a discussion with your spouse, a heated discussion and said, calm yourself. That does not de-escalate de the conflict, by the way. I learned that. Here the disciples are troubled, and Jesus says, don't be troubled. You know, one time I was in Santa Fe with my family, wife and children. Elijah was just two back then. He was a little guy. And Santa Fe has a, has a square in the middle of town, and there's vendors and performers, and it's bustling, and there's people around. It's a lot of fun. And I was there with Elijah and um, my brother and his family, his sister and her family, parents, and, and we were just having a lot of fun. Elijah, um, down here playing with me, on the ground in this busy square and of grass. And, and my brother comes up, we begin to discuss something. It couldn't have been 30 seconds. And I look down and my son is not there. Now that's no big deal. We, I mean, kids, kids run off, right? Uh, spoiler alert, I still have a son, Elijah, so don't get too concerned. Um, but, but in that moment, you know, if you're a parent, you know that feeling. What? He couldn't have gone far. We we're just talking like 30 seconds. So I, I, I go this way, he goes that way. We start doing circles. We can't find him anywhere. And when you're in that moment, seconds seem like years. Well, this went on for minutes. I have now circled the entire grass. Now we're starting to look down side streets. It's been 10 minutes. Now the image of, of the haunting image of somebody leading my son away down a road is, is, is I, I'm being overwhelmed. Where is my son? Where is Elijah? And at that moment, if you'd walked up and said, hey, Hey, don't be troubled. I might have hit you. I wasn't too holy in that moment. Turns out Elijah was behind a tree beating it with a stick, not too far away. We found him. Um, and oh, and then Amy showed up and she goes, How are things going? It's going real well. <laughs> things are great. <laughs> but but when people are troubled, we really don't say, Hey, hey don't be troubled. And let's be honest, Jesus knows these young men. He's traveled with them for three years. He's seen them angry and argue with each other. He's walked on the road and he's laughed till he's cried with them. He's seen them cry tears of sadness. They, they've seen Jesus cry tears of sadness. He's seen, he's seen them afraid for their lives on multiple occasions. He knows them. He's seen them go slack-jawed as they watch miracles blow their mind. He's looking around this table in the upper room and he's looking into eyes of fear. He knows these young men, not just because he knows them in his humanity, but in his divinity, he knows their hearts and he knows their minds. And he tells them, don't be troubled. He knows exactly what he's doing when he tells them this. 
the appropriate response to troubling news that involves you is to be troubled. And he, he knows, but he doesn't just tell them not to be troubled. He goes through John 14, and he's going to describe for them a pathway of peace in spite of trouble. In John 14, he lays out a way for people who are facing troubling circumstances to not be troubled. You don't tell someone don't be troubled unless you have something they can do to accomplish that. Peace is the opposite of being troubled. And he leaves them here in John 14, he leaves something for them, a guide for finding peace of heart and peace of mind when, we're, when they're facing troubling circumstances. He gives them a pathway to peace because he knows, as he looks around the table, he knows in the future there are coming moments for these men, they're going to face circumstances much more troubling than the next 24 hours. They're going to face Jesus' crucifixion in 24 hours, but someday, some of these men are going to face their own. They have got to learn this pathway of peace. And Orchard, if you're here today, or you're listening you're watching, and there are circumstances in your life that are worrying you, causing you anxiety, are troubling, things outside of you, relationships, businesses, finances. We have the pandemic, frustration, and fear, all those things. If you find yourself having some trouble of heart, some worry, then today's message is for you because Jesus speaks to you and says, don't be troubled. But then he gives you a pathway to peace in John 14. This first one, the first thing he tells us, the first part of the pathway, might not seem like it would bring much peace of heart or mind to us. But in fact, for many of these disciples, this was the one that would matter, just it would have to carry so much weight in their heart. Jesus promises that no matter what they go through and no matter what you go through in life, no matter how bad things get, no matter what terrible circumstances life brings your way, Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you. The first thing he promises on the pathway of peace is a place. A place in heaven when life is over. Because immediately after saying, do not be troubled, verse two, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you I am going to prepare a place for you? Don't be troubled by the temporary pains and circumstances you face. They're a mist compared to what I have prepared for you. No matter how bad life gets, there is a place in heaven where all pain, all fear, all illness, all uncertainty, all trouble is banished for eternity. Now to us, that might not matter quite so much. If we're honest, our lives are pretty comfortable here in Western American Christianity. We're gonna leave this and go do whatever we want with our Sunday afternoon. We believe, we have the, we have the ability here in America to believe what we want to believe without consequence. We could go out, you can go out, and you can go tell anyone about Jesus without being tied to a stake and burned alive. You can go to work and talk about God's peace, talk about this very message without that employee reporting you and your family and you being arrested. We can gather here on Sunday morning in this building with the volume up and the lights on without fear of being raided and all of us being arrested. The disciples, a time is coming when they will face trouble, trouble at a level that probably none of us in this generation in America hopefully will ever face. 
a time when they will have to choose between renouncing their faith in Jesus or being stoned to death or burned to death or many others. In fact, in a few weeks, I'm going to preach about persecution and what those disciples went through and what Jesus has to say about it. And you're going to be shocked to see what, how their stories end. They're going to face trouble at a level that we probably will never you see, he's telling them that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what circumstances come your way, I have prepared a place for you. A place for you that when you take your last breath, you will enter into perfect peace. And these, these young men, they're going to see Jesus give his life for them. And we're going to see them throughout their lives give their life right back to him. You can do whatever you want to me. You can, you can whip me, stone me, whatever you want, arrest me. I've, he has given me his life and I am giving him mine and there's a place prepared. You can't kill a dead person who's already said, I already know where I'm going. Go ahead, take my life. I know where I'm going. That would have given them immense peace in the years to come. You know, sometimes we face this with illness when we're suffering so much, we just, we go, I'm ready to go. Or we watch somebody suffering and we're ready for them to go to a place where there's no pain. And so Jesus here says, don't be troubled because I have prepared a place for you when this life passes. The second thing that Jesus tells them here in John 14, they'll need for peace is something we all have some experience with. It's prayer. Jesus tells them in this discussion about being troubled that there's prayer with a promise that leads to peace. He says, you can ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son of God can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it, which makes me ask, how are you praying? How are you praying? Apologetic prayers, emergency Hail Mary prayers, ritual prayers, just repeating prayers, passionless prayers, religious prayers, indifferent meh prayers. See, we're called into a relationship where prayer isn't just a, a one-way list of requests, but it's something that God has given us to have communication with him. And here's the key. Prayer should be from the heart. It should be heartfelt, which means if there's trouble, you pray with passion and intensity. And I did not say volume or religious long words. None of that impresses Jesus. None of it impresses God. What he wants is to have your heart engaged and for you to speak what you're feeling. I'll tell you, there have been times in my life where I've been so broken by circumstances and trouble, I have been so angry at God. And I learned in that season, he's big, he's big enough to take my anger as I yelled prayers at him. If, it was, if I learned through a season that God was big enough for my authentic hurt and anger and brokenness, and that was what carried me through that season was those honest conversations. We pray in Jesus' name. In reality, we need Jesus a lot more than we know. And you may have heard me say this before, when I, but two years ago when I became lead pastor, there was one thing I changed, one thing I started right away, and it was, it was that we would be praying in this room on Wednesday at noon for God to move in our church. And it's, I know the time doesn't work for everybody. It, it, well, there'll never be a time that works for everybody. But Wednesdays at noon, unless something comes up that's unavoidable, I will be in this room praying that God would move. 
that he would move here in this room, that he would move uh, through the video, wherever anybody is watching this right now, that he would move in Vanuatu, that he would move in Arizona, that he would move in New Zealand, all these places where people are, are, are tuning in, that God would move. And here's the cool thing. Back when I first started praying that, um, there was no other places. And I'll tell you something. I had nothing to do. Our staff had nothing to do with those avenues opening up. We said, God, please do something that we cannot do. And God has continued to show us that he's going to do that. So we continue to pray that God would move in power. And I'm just going to be very honest here. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to be lead pastor to just do church. We have a, I don't want to do good church I mean, we have Micah and the band. They're great. We have an amazing staff. It takes a lot of people to make me look good. Here's the deal. We don't, but at the end of the day, I don't want to do, do good church. That's not the point of this. What I want is a Jesus movement. I want to be part of something where supernatural things are happening that we, that God is doing that we're seeing. I want to see lives being changed. I want to see people who are far from God coming to Jesus. I want to see a movement where, where the floors are wet from baptism while people getting in out. I want to see where worship is infused with, with passion. I want to see a movement of God where marriages are restored. I want to see a movement of God where the hearts of fathers return to their children, where the innocent are protected and abused are freed and the hurt are healed. I want to see the orchard a part of a movement of God so big where amazing things happen that, listen, no human can take credit and therefore no human can get any glory. That's what I want us to be a part of. I have been a student of these kind of movements. And these kind of movements are called revivals. And they've happened throughout history and there's a common thing, a theme that happens with them. When a revival begins to break out, you will always find a group of people gathering and faithfully and passionately praying for God to move. And so if you would join me on Wednesdays, it's open to anybody. We gather on Wednesdays at noon to pray for God to move, to move in ways that, that we, we can't do anything with. And also, the other part of it is, if you're in need of prayer, if you're sick or ill, or you have hurt, emotional, whatever it would be, if you're in need of prayer, you now have a place to come to be prayed over. If you're in need of prayer, or you know someone who is, come on Wednesdays. We'll pray over them. Sorry, back to, back to God's promise for, pray, for prayer for peace. He gives us prayer. He gives us this pathway, and prayer is part of it. And Paul steps into this. And listen to the first part that Paul says. Jesus said, don't be troubled. Paul in Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. That sounds very similar, doesn't it? But he says, don't worry about anything. Instead of worry, pray about things. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And that's where the heartfelt passion and heart comes in. Tell him what you need. Don't, oh, dear heavenly father. Like, if you're broken, be broken in prayer. If you're needy, be needy and desperate in prayer. If you're angry, God, be angry in prayer. But be authentic. Let it out. Pray. It says, tell God what you need and then thank him for what he has done. Part of defeating the worry is the gratitude of what he has already done. And so often when we go into prayer, we get the tell God what you need thing. Hey, God, I need this, 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 this. Jesus, amen. And we forget the gratitude here. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then, 
then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. His peace will guard, set up guard on your heart, guard on your mind. Don't be troubled. Don't worry. Instead, pray about it. But tell God. In other words, give that burden over to him. And in gratitude, thank him. And then you'll experience a peace that surpasses understanding. And this peace, God's peace, it sets up camp around your heart. It sets up camp around your mind. And it guards you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I would say this. If you're somebody who has circumstances in your life that are troubling or have the ability to cause you anxiety or worry or concern, I would say Philippians 4 and 6. This is the takeaway. Write that down. Write it down on a sticky note. Put it on the dash of your car. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it in your pocket. Memorize it and pray it into your life. And may that be a verse that you put into practice. Some of you have been very accomplished professional warriors for 70, 50, 40, 30, 20 years. You don't have to be. Jesus says, don't be troubled, but then he gives us a pathway out of that. This, that verse can be a true paradigm changer for those of us who have circumstances that can cause us to worry. There's so many verses in the Bible about peace and prayer. I would say this, download a Bible app or go to Google verses about peace. Read them and pray them into your life. Do a, do a reading plan on, on peace, but begin to, to combat all that the world has to offer that's troubling you. Jesus tells them not to be troubled because he's preparing a place. He Then he equips them and calls them to pray. And the third thing, one that means so much to me, then he promises his presence. We talked so much about this last week. And if you missed last week's sermon, I would say go watch it. Don't listen, watch it. It's all about God's presence in me. These disciples have been with Jesus every day for three years. And he says he's leaving, but he says, yeah, I won't abandon you. He says, I'll be with you. In verse 17, he says, I will, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 20, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Again, catch last week's teaching that Jesus was, is in us and we are in him. He promises his presence as a resource, but he continues on this promise. He, he not, only, not only is Jesus gonna be in us, but that God is sending the Holy Spirit, verse 16. I'll ask the Father and he will give us an, another advocate who will never leave you. Never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. God's peace is, is truth. He can lead you into the truth of peace. He lives with you now and will later be in you. It says he will later be in you. That's on the other side of the cross. That's us. Those of you who, have, who believe in Jesus, the spirit is in you, the spirit of truth to lead you in all truth, to lead you into peace. The Holy Spirit there, and even in Galatians, they talk about the fruit of the spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. There should be fruit in your life and one of those is more peace. Part of living the authentic Jesus life called Christianity is to rely more and more on God's spirit for peace. So back to promise number two, prayer. Pray for peace. Pray and ask Jesus, as the Holy Spirit who's within you, ask him to, to give you more peace. I, I, I'm in this situation and I need peace. Please, from within me, resource me with more peace. His presence is within us to help us with trouble. So we have a, a, we have a place, we have, a, we have prayer, and we have presence. 
So Jesus has promised the place prepared. He tells us about prayer, and then he tells us he's promised spirit. But the lastly, lastly, he just does something so generous. He just gives us a present. Verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift. It's peace of mind and peace of heart. And catch this, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Orchard, you will not find God's peace out there. You, you can work all you can to control your circumstances. It will never give you the peace you need in your heart because it's not like God's peace. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He prepares a place. He equips and calls us to prayer. He indwells us with his presence. And then he just gives us this present of peace. Not like the world gives. And the Hebrew word for peace is this word shalom. And you may have heard that before. Shalom. It's a beautiful word with a rich meaning. But here's what we've come to believe peace is. I'll tell you about shalom in a minute. But we begin, we've come to believe peace means simply the absence of conflict. Or the ceasing of war. Like finally there was peace. We, 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 we stopped fighting. We've come to believe that peace is the absence of conflict, but in God's way of living, peace isn't the absence of anything. It's the presence of something far greater. Shalom means to make whole, to be completed. And the Old Testament, when he talked about shalom, it was used at times to, declare, to describe anything that was whole and unbroken. Like when they say, they say, get the altar stone. The altar, it needed to be a stone that was just one piece. So they called it the shalom stone. It was whole, it was complete. When Solomon completed the temple, he shalomed it. Or when there was relational turmoil between two people, when they restored their relationship to completedness, the relationship came to shalom. There's so many mentions in the Old Testament about this beautiful word of shalom. And one of the meanings is that although there are so many complex moving parts, God brings wholeness to everything. He makes it complete. The Old Testament prophets, even they talk about it. They, they talk about a Messiah, the Prince of Shalom, who would come and someday bring shalom, not just peace. Because that's what Jesus did. He came and through his sacrifice and resurrection, he restored our relationship with God, making it shalom, making it whole. He shalomed, he completed the work that was needed to restore us to God. What does this mean for us now? We, gotta, we need to be, have some honesty here for a second because we have mistaken God's peace. We're, we are working toward a different peace. We, we have to be honest here. We believe that peace is a byproduct of circumstances in our life being good. Then I'm at peace. We have peace in here finally when life is more peaceful out there. Our inner peace is often a byproduct of circumstantial peace. We feel peace when, when things outside of us are certain and settled. But God, he tells us that shalom is when something is, is settled within us. It can be present in us even when our circumstances are uncertain and in chaos. Shalom makes us whole and settled when life is uncertain. Shalom completes something, settles something, 
when life outside of us will never be complete. He says, I give you peace that the world cannot give. The world's peace is, if I could do enough, if I settle enough things out there, I'll finally have peace in here. Which is why we go on vacation, we sit on a beach and take an Instagram photo because finally for three days, all those things, for three days we don't have to think about them. Ah, I got a little bit of peace, but that doesn't last. We come back and there we are once again. Human peace relies on circumstances. God's peace, shalom, holds us fast regardless of circumstances. Human peace is a byproduct, while God's peace is a resource from within. It resources us. Human peace is a ceasing of outer conflict, while God's peace settles our inner conflict, even while it rages outside of us. Human peace crumbles when hell breaks loose in my life. But God's peace, the peace of heaven, holds me fast inside, even when hell breaks loose. We all want more peace. We all want not to be troubled. And our solution is, is it's, it, our solution, our humanity, is to control or get out of troubling circumstances. And if we're honest, some of us are so exhausted because we're working so hard to control relationships or finances or circumstances. And if we can control them enough, it gives us a sense of peace. But that is not peace. That is exhausting. And God says there's another way that regardless of everything breaking down around you and all the fears and frustrations of life, there's a peace that can hold you in the midst of it. We want to get out of trouble. Jesus has something to say about that in John 16. He says, guess what? In this world, you will have trouble. He just tells you, you're never gonna control everything good enough. Listen, it's never gonna be settled enough out there to be settled in here. There is a day when that will happen, but it's not here on this earth. In this life, he promises you will have trouble. So put these two things that Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Don't be troubled. We have to be honest. We've been really working and hoping that the trouble out there would cease so that we wouldn't feel the trouble in here. But he just flat out says it. You're gonna have trouble. Don't be troubled. He's telling his followers, in this life, listen, it's never gonna be settled enough. Stop working so hard so that everything around you can finally be at peace so that you can. Instead, pursue a peace within you that holds tight despite what circumstances happen. For some of you here today, and some of you listening and watching, we gotta be honest, you are facing excruciating circumstances that are very troubling. And you know immediately what I'm talking about. You're up against some, some private vices or things you can't control. You're up against some relational breakdown. You're up against some financial realities. Then you add in this pandemic and politics and the frustration and the fear. There, our world is full of trouble and some of you in here are facing so much of it. And I get the sense that there are some of you listening right now that are absolutely exhausted from the last two years of adding all this other stuff on top of what we already had going. And you're waiting for, can we finally, can we finally get back to normal where I can just have a normal thing where I have to fight those normal battles? Hey, it, listen, you're never gonna find peace outside of you enough to get peace within you. 
Some of you are exhausted. And for some of you, the, thing, the best thing you can do right now is in that exhaustion of trying to control all those things is to just take a breath, let go. Instead of focusing so much energy on controlling out there and in here, realize that Jesus has provided a pathway to peace in a troubled world. That he wants to be a divine resource of peace, of shalom, completeness, and wholeness within you. That heaven would hold you when hell breaks loose around you. That his peace would hold you when the diagnosis comes down. And the business breaks. The relationship crumbles. That there is peace that goes and holds beyond those moments. Today, Jesus is calling you to a new way of living. Back to John 14. Do not be troubled. And here's how, my son, my daughter. You are facing some very troubling circumstances in your life. And he wants you to know that you can have peace in them today. And here's, here's what you have to know. Someday these troubles in your life, they will be over. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more conflict. No more in-laws. There'll be no, I mean, no more. There'll be a day. There'll be a day when so much of the things we face aren't there. But, but, but Christian, that is not today. That is not on this earth. You'll, have, you'll be in heaven in peace someday, but you can have the peace of heaven in you today. Remember his promise that he has prepared a place for you. That no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much you go through, he's prepared a place where all there's perfect peace. Number two, know that he has called you and equipped you to pray heartfelt prayers where you commune with God's spirit. He's, he's promised his presence within you and his Holy Spirit to be a resource. And then he's just given you this gift of, of, of peace that the world cannot give. It's time to dig into that. If you're a worrier, if you're a, if you're a person who's concerned or being troubled right now, instead of con- trying to control things, dig deep into his word and his presence and begin to pray that into you and let the peace of heaven fill you. All that energy you put into controlling, put half of that in to pursuing God's peace and feel the difference. He's called us to come to him with bold and heartfelt prayers, to cast our cares upon him instead of carrying the burden and that we would have peace that surpasses understanding. Orchard, this is available to you today by our Savior. And so in a room like this, there's a lot of conflicts, a lot of troubles, a lot of circumstances, a lot of heartbreaking, a lot of heartbreak. As we go into communion and you hold the elements of Jesus' broken body and shed blood, you hold the very symbols of the death and resurrection of Jesus that provided the pathway for you to live a different and new way when it comes to trouble. Repent of your control Say, I'm sorry for trying to, to, to make everything at peace so I can feel it. And just say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe today have your first heartfelt, authentic cry for help. If you need extra prayer, we'll have prayer people back at the corner for you. If you're tracking with us and you would like extra prayer, you can email me, daniel, at theorchardlife.com. We want to be a resource for you in peace. But as we go into this communion and then go into prayer or into worship, 
I would encourage you to have a heartfelt discussion with God. Jesus, thank you that you died, you rose again, and that you made a way for us to have true heaven's peace that we walk on earth. And I pray today that there are people listening, watching, attending right here, that you at this very moment, your spirit is calling them out of a life of constant control and worry and trouble and concern and into a life of freedom and rest and eternal peace despite their circumstances. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name.